Welcome back to another episode of Shut Up and Start Talking. We're very happy to be here. Alexis and I on our walk over were talking about mental health, in particular our mental health. <laughs> the darkness. Yeah. Our our collective horrible mental health. Which like I was saying, like, I had a terrible panic attack last night and last week. I had a panic attack, but I was, like, able to function. Mm-hmm. But it still counts as a panic attack. Like, it's not like, oh, you were able to walk somewhere, so you weren't having a panic attack. Um, but I was telling Alexis, like, there's little things that I am do that I'm self-conscious about that, like, are making myself anxious. And it's, like, all these little buildups, and then I break. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to rework some of the things. Like, I was telling Alexis, I, like, time my meals and like that's weird it's bizarre because i'm like i'm like oh i can't take more than 10 minutes to eat breakfast because then i'm not being productive that's absolute insanity like it it doesn't um we did an episode like last semester like a few months ago about mental health and like you know it really is that point in the semester like it's it's almost exam season it's final paper season and like things are getting a little dark um which i'm not gonna sit here and lie to you and be like i'm doing amazing my mental health is great like i'm thriving but i think and i don't know about alexis but i can speak for myself i'm trying to rework the way that i operate to make myself like a little bit happier and prioritize my mental health and shift the things that i do that are unhealthy like i know that drinking coffee makes me anxious and I'm already having a heightened sense of anxiety. So I'm just, I'm going to be done co- with coffee for a couple of weeks. I always get decaf. I can get decaf. I d- can drink tea. I like, you, we know I just drink like Drink like milk. a cup of milk. Yeah, like yeah. it's not like I'm getting it. And I can still walk to coffee shops with my friends and like. They have like an extensive menu. Yeah, it's not like latte or death. Yeah. But I've been doing that, not coffee. I'm an avid coffee drinker, but I've been like prioritizing my like fun things to do or like little self care things like showering, which I shower every day, but like a nice No, but like taking like a nice long shower where you put on relaxing music. Because like usually I shower for like 10 minutes and I rush. And I kind of just, like, do everything like it's, like, I'm on a conveyor belt, you know? But sometimes it's like, oh, just stand there in the steam. And I'm like, oh, this is nice. I did my eye makeup this morning. And I I texted you and I was like, want to meet outside five? And you're like, actually, can I have ten? And I was like, what can I do? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to put a little makeup on. It's going to be fun. Because it's like, I could sit on my phone for ten minutes or I could do something that's fun yeah i've been on my no alarm trend where i don't set an alarm i have so much respect for you except for the well i have class tuesday and thursday at 9 30 so i have to set an alarm i've been waking up naturally at like 8 15 so that's fine because i would make my alarm for 8 45 but i just let myself sleep and that has alleviated so much of my anxiety i let myself sleep until 9 a.m this morning and like the way that i felt was so drastically different it's so powerful self-care is so important so 
I think what we're trying to say is we're both still actively working on it. Like, I don't think we have it necessarily down. And we're both people who like to plan. We're both people who certain things will trigger us to kind of go in a downward spiral. But we're trying and we're struggling, but it's getting it's getting better. Today's been a really good day. So I'm I'm positive and I'm feeling hopeful and I have many things to look forward to. Yes. Think about what makes you happy and look forward to that. Um, that being said, should we get into the let's news? Let's get into the news. Good morning. Good morning. The news. Wait, I can't hear myself. Sorry. The news. <laughs> Let's get started with vaccine rollout. Okay. 3.03 million doses per day, on average, are being administered. Isn't that great? This is wonderful. This is wonderful. Um, So the CDC said on Wednesday that about 110 million people have received at least one dose of a COVID vaccine including 64.4 million people who have been fully vaccinated by Johnson Johnson single dose or the two dose series made by Pfizer or Moderna. So Biden had promised to administer 100 million vaccines by his 100th day in office and the U.S. has surpassed this goal. I think he's trying to get it up to like 150 million now by his 100th day or something. Um, So some experts have estimated that 70 to 90 percent of the total population of adults and children has to acquire resistance to the coronavirus to reach herd immunity. So at the current pace, this 3.03 million per day, we could have herd immunity by July 1st because 78% of the U.S. population will be vaccinated by that point, which is is amazing. This is really powerful. This is amazing. This is a great story. Like, you might be able to have, like, 4th of July barbecues safely. I think I'm going to be able to have, like, a 21st birthday party. Mm-hmm. which i'm like really excited about yeah so this is a great, great i am news. so excited because i have so many tentative july plans and also like in connecticut anyone over the age of 16 can now get it so i've been fighting to get an appointment and failing but hopefully i can get one like as soon as i get back and even if you what you can do is once you're home you'll have a lot more time and you'll have access to a car Exactly. So you can always make like Ricky just drive you to a pharmacy and you guys just like sit there for a couple hours. That's true. Go to my, lo- I was so funny. I've been looking at like vaccine places and it's like my local grocery store and I've seen people getting vaccinated in like the milk aisle of their local Walmart. Wait, that's cute. And I'm like, this is like really kind of powerful and cute. So, okay. The next story is quite dark. Um, so in Myanmar, security forces have killed more than 40 children since February More than 550 people have been killed by security forces on the street and in their homes. And at least 40 of the individuals who are dead are children. So under the age of 18. Dark. So they're just killing people in the street and then also hunting them down in their homes. Disgusting. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on. Okay. Um, George, <laughs> you wrote George's. <laughs> George's, it's just George. It's actually George Lopez. Georgia has a new voting law. Um, or it's actually like, 
many like different laws, but we'll go through those. Um, so the Republican legislature and governor have made a breathtaking assertion of partisan power in elections, which makes absentee voting harder and creates restrictions. So there's a lot. I'm going to go through each of them pretty quickly. Um, so voters will have less time to request absentee ballots. There's strict new ID requirements for these absentee ballots. It's illegal for election officials to mail out absentee ballot applications to all voters, which was happening during the 2020 election. Um, drop boxes, which is where you can put your absentee ballot instead of bringing it to like an actual post office or something, still exist, but they've been cut down a lot. Mobile voting centers are banned. These are things like RVs where you can go and vote. Early voting is expanded in a lot of small counties, but not in the more populous ones. Offering food or water to voters waiting in line now risks misdemeanor charges, which is so horrible. I can't even like get into that one. If you go to the wrong polling place, it's even harder to vote than it already had been. If election problems arise, it is now more difficult to extend voting hours. With a mix of changes to vote counting, high turnout elections will probably mean a long wait for results. Election officials can no longer accept third-party funding, which this one is actually very good. Um, if you know anything about like campaign finance and stuff like that, it's pretty shady. So this is good. Um, and kind of addresses some of the right-wing conspiracy theories. Um, with an eye toward voter fraud, the state attorney general will manage an election hotline. We'll see how good that one goes. The Republican-controlled le legislature has more control over the state election board. Eh. The secretary of state is removed as a voting member of the state election board. The GOP-led le legislature is empowered to suspend county election officials and runoff elections will happen faster but they could also become harder to manage so basically in summary a lot of the new provisions are supposedly to combat voter fraud but we talked about this in the last episode you are more likely to get killed by a vending machine than for voter fraud to occur in a significant manner that is an ACLU stat. So in summary, voter fraud doesn't exist, and this is just trying to prevent black and brown people from voting. Yeah, this is very thinly veiled, I think. Voter suppression. Voter suppression is a huge issue. I worked on a campaign to increase voting and, like, safe voting um, this past election. And doing some research, like, the ways that the government tries to prevent marginalized people from voting is so extreme. And, like, ID requirements classist and racist um just the let the less time that you have and the harder that they're making it to vote like why why are they getting rid of like the time thing for absentee ballots why is offering food or water to voters in line a misdemeanor so i actually heard michael babaro my king talk about this and the rationale for the food and water argument is that typically organizations that hand out food and water are Democrat-oriented organizations. So even though they're not politically campaigning, it could be seen as political campaigning based on the affiliation of the organization. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let that one sing in. I just feel like, okay, I just feel like they could twist that, though, because it could literally be like the 
access to clean food and water incorporated handing out water bottles and some republican would be like that's just the liberal media trying to also campaign. like why are you not handing out water then what was your first response instead of being like oh these democrats are helping <laughs> voters why didn't you just send people also i feel like it kind of assumes that voters are so easily swayed because if I was standing in line to vote and Ronald Reagan himself came up to me <laughs> while I was literally like lying on the ground about to die from dehydration, he could hand me a bottle of Gatorade and I would still go in and vote f- like down ticket Democrat. Like, why does it assume like you're going to get one water bottle and completely switch your voter affiliation? That's what I'm saying. Like, you think fried chicken is that powerful? Like, literally, it's like <laughs> it's like you're standing there and you're like a diehard Republican, like adamantly racist homophobic whatever and like john ossoff comes up to you and hands you like a little poland spring two ounce thing and you're like my king we need blue and o-. no that doesn't happen this is just horrible <laughs> like <laughs> we'll just move on but i just it's like so horrible that we're laughing like it's not actually funny it's actually quite dark but you must well, laugh through the pain thinking about like an animatronic Ronald Reagan coming up to me <laughs> Dear God. and giving me food. That's a little funny. Okay, but. let's move on to another dark story. Matt Gates, everyone's favorite human being, privately asked the White House for blanket preemptive pardons for himself and his unidentified congressional allies for any crimes that they may have committed. He claims that the c- crimes that he's referring to are crimes for the former president. But it's also unclear if Gates or the White House knew about the inquiry into his um, sex trafficking accusations. So, like, it's unclear if he knew when he was asking for pardons that he was going to be investigated for sex trafficking. But he also still knew that he was sex trafficking. So keep that in mind. Um, Gates did not tell White House aides that he was under investigation for potential sex trafficking violations when he made the request. Uh, former President Trump is back in our ear and said, Congressman Matt Gates never has never asked me for a pardon. Lies. It must also be remembered that he has totally denied the accusations against him. You can deny things, but it doesn't mean that you didn't do it. Yeah, denial essentially means nothing. So, if you don't know <laughs> what Matt Gates looks like, also, just like Google him real quick. Like, look at his face a little bit, and then you'll be like, yeah. This makes sense. Lastly, the George Floyd trial or the Derek Chauvin trial. Um, So George Floyd's family watched his death on April 7th, which was Wednesday, in court proceedings. So a jury watched the video footage of George Floyd's death, the video that everyone has seen, and his family members watched along with them. So during the first week of testimony, prosecutors repeatedly played the bystander video security footage and body camera recordings of the encounter between George Floyd and Derek Chauvin and questioned the witnesses who were there that day. Um, as we mentioned in the last episode, we heard from the like cashier that was the one who like took the bill and also some other bystanders um, that happened to witness it. And so... Um, George Floyd's youngest brother said it was like really hard to watch. Some people had to leave the viewing room when the video played and others have just avoided the courthouse and the trial altogether because they can't bear to see Chauvin there. 
Um, and the prosecutors are set to finish their questioning this week. And then it'll switch over to the defense. I don't know how... I feel like I am a little optimistic about the outcome of this trial. What they have to prove, the prosecution, should be easy to prove. They just need to prove that the police officer was responsible for George Floyd's death and that it wasn't pre-existing health conditions. Yeah. Which I think that because of how this case was publicized and the national backlash that came from this case, I think to set an example, I feel like he will be convicted. What his actual punishment will be, I think will be small honestly like i and i know that even saying that is a little optimistic because we've seen so many police officers and people like like even think back to the trayvon martin case george zimmerman sold the gun that he used to kill trayvon martin for like two million dollars yeah so i don't know well that's it for the news let's get into this week's topic which is unfortunately not uplifting it's not it's actually quite dark in nature okay we're back we're back after nothing after <laughs> we always say like we're back because after we record the news we like take a little break but for you it's like a 10 second music clip and we're like oh my god we're back did you miss us and you're like please leave me alone you're like definitely not so we're gonna be talking this week about something quite dark actually which is like how the healthcare and the insurance system and everything like that essentially like punishes the poor we're going to be talking about different ways in which this happens different examples um so on like a baseline healthcare is about quality and access which poor people usually do not have because living in low income areas, that is not where they build medical facilities. That is not where doctors practice. That is not, you know what I mean? So typically to get medical care, you will probably have to drive like 20, 30 minutes to a doctor. Um, And if you're on state insurance, like a lot less doctors take state insurance and like all of these things. So basically, like, you might not have the time to go to take off work because also a lot of doctor's offices only operate, like, on a 9 to 5 Monday through Friday schedule. You might not have the ability to get there. Like, there's a lot of things that come between poor people and getting medical care. And unfortunately, what tends to happen is because if you don't have insurance if every time that you go to the doctor, they're going to charge you, even if you go and you just talk to a doctor. Yeah. So if I have a little cough and it turns out that this cough is actually an indication of something more serious, I might not go to the doctor because I'm like, this is just a cough and I don't want to spend not only the time that it takes to get there, which is time that I'm not working, I'm losing money, but then to actually go to the doctor's office and potentially have them tell me, 
oh, nothing's wrong, take a cough drop, and then have to pay for that appointment. Yeah. So let's talk about insurance thresholds now that we've kind of talked about the uninsured. So in many cases, your income must be 138% of the poverty line to get state insurance, which is like Medicare or Medicaid. So the poverty line is the federal poverty line, by the way. $12,880 for one person, which is a yearly income of only $17,774, which is you're making like after taxes, probably like $9, $10 an hour working full time. It's very hard to sustain yourself on this income. Um, So making more like this, making more than this, but not being able to afford highly monthly private insurance costs leads many to be uninsured, which is currently in the United States, 28.9 million or around almost 11% of non-elderly Americans. So not having insurance obviously makes already high medical costs even more extreme, which we're gonna touch on like a few examples, but this is quite obvious. Like your insurance covers the majority of your medical costs. Even people with insurance sometimes can't afford the copay or the out-of-pocket costs of medical care, especially if you're going in for something drastic. I mean, we know about cancer costs and we know about all the GoFundMes and stuff that are raised for that. But even like a normal checkup, like sometimes parents can't pay the $100 out-of-pocket to have their kid checked, which is horrible. Which is why in a lot of elementary schools, they would try to have like eye doctors come to the elementary school for free and like check kids eyesights but it's not as comprehensive as a full eye exam oh no we Um, had we had eye tests we had hearing tests i think in like elementary school in high school we had scoliosis screenings oh but like that was it something about having to choose whether to put food on the table or like take your kid to their yearly doctor appointment is horrible and and it's like you could take them to the doctor and most of the time nothing is wrong you're fine your kid's fine it's great they check but if you don't do that on a regular basis if something is wrong sometimes by the time you catch it it's too late it's too late and costs are so high yeah and it's also like the most common um or the most covered um type of medical care is always like a doctor like a checkup something like that stuff like dental care is like not as well covered or even like hardly covered at all some people have like medical insurance but not dental insurance and like let's not even get into like behavioral medicine which is just like mental health facilities like people always talk about like therapy is like not accessible therapy is inaccessible but then you look you look and like this is i've been looking into my insurance requirement like what my insurance covers because I've been like trying to make appointments and stuff they cover nothing for mental health they're like unless it's medically necessary that like you're you're about to kill yourself like you don't get anything and you're like but I'm timing my meals and and it's like (laughs) something about that doesn't feel like it's healthy you're like I literally give myself 10 minutes to eat (laughs) eggs and your doctor's like I I don't know I don't know queen um no but i i I mean the last thing i want to say too is like even with the reference to like dental care the dentist might be covered but if you need to go to an orthodontist that won't be covered because it's not seen as essential so like if you need teeth removed if you need braces like all of those things are expensive and not usually covered 
I had to have like four permanent teeth removed and braces for two and a half years. My mouth is fucked. Yeah. I mean, now it's not. It's fine. But like it was really dark. And I had like an over projection overbite. And they were like, we might have to reset her jaw. Interesting. But my point is that like all of that is expensive. Yeah. But like, why was my jaw so out of whack? I know. (laughs) Like I've been looking at my insurance because I want to go to the orthodontist. And they're like, yeah, well we'll cover braces until you're 21 but it also has to be done by the time that you're 21 and it's like okay some of us are old some of us are literally elderly like it's fine actually how old are you now what 19 19 yeah that's i know it's quite maybe you won't need them for two and a half years well no it would be like because by also can we just talk about for a second you go to make like an appointment and they're like we have an opening in august yeah i don't know how all their appointments are booked so often i don't know why i'm screaming oh my god so i called the dentist the other day yeah and i was like i want to schedule an appointment and she was like do you have your insurance info and i was like oh actually i don't like do i need it right now and she's like yeah we need it when you book your appointment don't worry we have plenty of appointments available just give us a call back so i'm like okay i call back the next day with my insurance information because i had to get my mom to send it to me And I'm like, yeah, I just want like a cleaning, like clean my teeth, like put the fluoride on, like do whatever. They're like, okay, so our first appointment is June 8th. And you're like... It's April, it was April 6th when I called. June 8th? Whatever. Okay, this is a tangent, but I went to Target and I got this like new toothpaste because I I always get the Colgate optic white, like, Mm -hmm. but I got this new one and it's like... It was actually cheaper than the Colgate, but it was like bougie looking. And I was like, I'm intrigued. It was like a couple bucks cheaper. It has fluoride in it. Nice. And has coconut oil in it. And oh, it's... interesting. I might send you a picture. It's Is like, it nice? It's really nice. And it was cheaper. Oh. It was like one of the cheapest toothpaste, but it's like... But like this one wasn't... Like, you know how they're wrapped in cardboard? The one wrapped in cardboard was like the Colgate price. And then this one just wasn't wrapped. And I was like, but I throw that away anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not adding that much value to me. It was like two or three bucks cheaper. Oh. And I was like, that's fine. Interesting. Yeah. That's a tangent. Anyways, but- um, we can get off the tangent <laughs> of dental care. I've just been dealing with, like, <laughs> researching into dentists lately. So, like, whatever. Um, the opioid crisis. Yeah. <laughs> I think we talked about this on an episode, actually. I think we did like a whole episode on it. I don't think we did a whole episode. It was very, it was, I think we did like an extensive news story about it. But basically, if you know anything about the evil Sackler family who knew that opioids were addictive and didn't care and still pushed them and they pushed them on poor white people because they didn't want them to be like seen as like an urban drug within the black and brown community which is why poor white people have been disproportionately affected by the opioid crisis and it disproportionately affects poor people because when they go to doctors with pain and doctors get a cut of prescribing an opioid to people they just take it because people aren't like actively questioning their doctor since they've had to take time off work to get there and it was expensive to get there so they're not also we're supposed to trust doctors yeah like you shouldn't have to be like question that your doctor has your best interest in heart and so as a result people are getting addicted to a drug that is addictive in nature that they're taking prescribed by their doctor like even if you take an opioid as intended as prescribed you can still get addicted yeah yeah and they're very dangerous um and just like bad and like i feel like 
when we we're going to talk about pregnancy in a little bit and that is also a case where like you're supposed to trust your doctor you should not have to question your doctor and make sure that they're not like using you for a check like i don't know like i thankfully i've never had to like i've never had to like sit there and be like is this doctor taking advantage of me but it's so common no my mom taught me growing up that you need to exaggerate your pain or they won't help you luckily i've just never been administered to a hospital which like because i i guess like my biggest medical issue was when i was younger i was underweight and as a result i was exercising just quite a bit because i was like a kid and i wanted to play like but because i was medically underweight my body would like crumble and i was like fainting randomly because like i i just wasn't getting the calories that i needed even though i was like eating until I was full and so like I remember my mom's like you have to exaggerate or they will not help us yeah and like I would get like crazy back spasms in the middle of the night at like age eight and my mom was like yeah that's not yeah normal so I've always been taught that like you have to like usually by the time I'm going to a doctor for something I know that something is wrong like fundamentally within me and you mm -hmm. have to push. And even like, I'll give a personal example. Like I was on a birth control and the birth control, I knew that it was making me gain weight. Like I knew that it was making me bloated. Like I just knew it in my bones. And like, I went to the gynecologist who's actually a family friend. And she was like, no, like people just naturally gain weight in their twenties. And I'm like, I understand that, but like, this is weird. Like I look different. I feel different. Yeah whatever and then after like much pushing i went on a different birth control and i didn't have that problem anymore but it's just like she didn't believe me which is frustrating the birth control industrial complex <laughs> of literally like i remember i went in to get my birth control at planned parenthood and they were very kind and they were very like because i was like i've never been on a birth control before like i don't know like i'm just on the pill but i don't want to gain weight i don't want to have mood swings whatever and they were like well, like, that's just what happens to your body, though. And I was like, well, can it not, though? Can we please do better than this? And they were like, we'll give you a low dose. And I was like, all right. Yeah. Thanks. No, but, like, even Alexa saw me when I was on the fat birth control. You and, weren't like, even fat. No, but I was, like, I was severely bloated in, like, a hormonal way that yeah. made me look impregnated. <laughs> um, so insulin? <laughs> yeah go through insulin okay so in 2016 a patient with type 1 diabetes incurred an annual insulin cost of five thousand seven hundred and five dollars on average which is about 450 per month and then if you compare this to 2012 the cost was half so companies are saying that the reason that the cost doubled from 26 2012 to 2016 is because they're improving the product i don't think that is true first of all <laughs> or like maybe they are but like but like people double? are people no. are dying kim like i don't also know. it takes it costs like three cents to produce insulin and so then as a result people started rationing their insulin because they were like i can't afford the higher cost and then they died yeah there's this condition called diabetic ketoacidosis 
and it's basically like you're not you're rationing your insulin because you're like i can't pay 450 a month let me just take it like i don't really know how insulin works but you take like half the dose or you skip days or something like that and then like your body like can't like doesn't like your body fails and you die um for <laughs> Oh, yes. Don't really Medical. Know how, I don't really know how medicine works. <laughs> Clearly. There like, was... So your body stopped working and then death? <laughs> Someone who died from rationing was paying 1300 a month because they were uninsured. 13, that's rent. That, yeah. is, that is a mortgage on a house, I think. I don't know how much houses cost. But, like, that is... <laughs> That is a that is like a shitty studio apartment in Boston. Welcome to Alexa saying things that she thinks are true. I don't know how much a mortgage is. I don't either. I mean, the thing is, is, and we'll shift to pregnancy in a second, but like, it doesn't have to be this way. There are other countries that have like, <laughs> sorry, there's someone outside and it. No, there's not. Yes, there is. They're filling up their water. Oh. <laughs> and I like didn't, anyway. Um, It doesn't have to be this way is my point. There's other countries that like have advanced healthcare systems that don't treat medicine like it's a product and it is more effective and we are one of the few developed countries that is still struggling so severely with our healthcare system it's actually like really dark the way well it's like it's all these drug companies that mark up their prices so much so like the founder ceo can be raking in like you know like 500 million dollars a year and they can go to expensive galas and they can like get awards but and that's then, like, why there's things at the met where it's like the sackler wing yeah that's why they're able to do, like i'm not saying that if you and i get that like research costs are significant and I'm, I'm not undermining that like i get that it costs money to think of new drugs and i know that production <laughs> costs like exist but you this week leah's thinks that research is thinking of new drugs (laughs) yes but like there's no reason that you need to be generating that much of a profit like it's not like oh i'm making a profit to like keep myself afloat it's like oh look at my fifth house look at my mansion in like fucking italy and And then it's like literally like people are dying think but like and I, and I want to emphasize with all of these issues, like the opioid crisis does disproportionately affect the poor. Insulin and like pregnancy, which we'll talk about, obviously this disproportionately affects the poor, but this can affect like a random person on the street. $500 a month on insulin is a lot of money. $6,000 a year yeah. is a lot of money. It's just like, sometimes I pick up prescriptions and I'm like, why does it cost this much? Like, I get that the product works, but, like, I want to know why. Like, I picked up my acne cream, and insurance won't cover it, and it's $60. Yeah. Like, why does it cost $60? Because I know it didn't take you $60 to make this. Definitely not. So. Which I know that's minuscule compared to, like, paying for something that is essential, like insulin. I get that acne cream, like, isn't essential, but I mean, in some cases, people like you don't you shouldn't have to choose between like painful cystic acne and like staying alive. Like you should right. be able to cover all your health care costs. A hundred percent. So let's talk about pregnancy. OK. I am so passionate about this. My like capstone project that I did last year, which is like a 50 page group project, was about the maternal mortality rate in the United States and how it's just like so exacerbated 
buy things like this, which I'll get into. I did win an award for that project. Yes. Yes, okay. I did. My award-winning research. Dear God. Um, are you still speaking? This episode vibes are, like, real weird. <laughs> giving birth okay. is expensive. And hurts. <laughs> Sorry, I'll let you speak. So the average cost of childbirth in the United States in 2019 was $10,808. These rates vary significantly between states, and the cost for uninsured women is significantly higher. And things like C-sections cost significantly more than vaginal births. In Massachusetts, a C-section birth for a woman without insurance costs about two, no, $20,000 on average. Jesus! But... This is just the cost of, like, I'm in labor, I'm going, I'm giving birth. This is, like, you have a perfect birth, and then, like, you leave from the hospital after, like, a day. And, like, it's one of those things. That's $20,000. But when you have to factor in, maybe there's a complication with your pregnancy. You have to stay a few extra days in the hospital. Maybe your child has to go to the NICU, or the NICU, or whatever it's called, the natal ICU. More and more costs will incur. Don't laugh at me. There was one woman in, I think it was Massachusetts or California, who she had a premature child. She had a C-section. Her child had to stay in the ICU for, I think, like two weeks or something. She had to stay in the hospital for two weeks. You know what her bill was before insurance? $900,000. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's insane. Also, C-sections, not only do they cost more, but they're more dangerous. And because they cost more, they're pushed by hospitals seeking to make a profit because obviously they get more money from either the insurance companies or the person themselves. A 2017 study, which analyzed the death rate of mothers who went through a C-section, found that these women had a higher chance of death and postpartum infection than mothers who give birth vaginally. Now, C-sections can be life-saving. They can save the life of both the the mother and the child and i'm not negating this fact i do understand that sometimes they're medically necessary and they're an amazing procedure but when doctors are pushing c-sections on women who most of the time don't know better because like do you know anything about giving birth no and also if i was pregnant and in the hospital and the doctor told me i needed a c-section i would just choose to believe that exactly so you go through surgery which is c-section also they cut open your stomach to take the child out and you have to get stitched back up, which is like why it's more expensive. It's a surgery rather than you just pushing out the child. Obviously, you're going to listen to your doctor. You're not going to be like, no, I'm not getting a C-section. I'm just going to sit here because you're vulnerable and you're pushing a child out of you. You don't really know what's going on. And then suddenly you get hit with this higher medical cost when sometimes it's not even necessary. Even if it is necessary, you shouldn't have to incur that higher medical cost. Exactly. I mean, it's just too expensive on the whole. The fact that it's almost double to get a C-section, when in some cases, that is the only option, you know? Um, so, in terms of seeking care during pregnancy, it's the same as any other sort of thing. If you're uninsured, or even if you are insured, but your copay is too high or something like that, Many women choose not to seek maternal care, okay? So, like, when you're pregnant, you have to go to the doctor pretty regularly for checkups during your pregnancy to make sure that the child is okay, you're doing okay, like, there's no complications that can arise because there's a lot of risks during pregnancy. You also have to seek postnatal care, 
meaning after you give birth, you have to keep going to the doctor for yourself to make sure that you've healed correctly. If you've gotten like a C-section or maybe there was like something that happened, a complication during birth. Or even like if you just had right, did you know about the sitz bath? Did you know about this? No. So like after you give birth, they like sew your vag. Yeah. And then you have to sit in this like sitz bath to like ice your vagina. Yeah. And then, like, my mom was like, and then the stitches just kind of naturally fall out. What? I know. There's a lot of infection that can occur. Right, so you have to go and, like, check and make sure. Like, even if you have, like, a run-of-the-mill birth, you give birth vaginally. No complications. No complications. You still have to go. You still need to go and check and, like, make sure that everything's okay. Also, this makes me never want to give birth, but that's a separate issue. So here's some, like, fun little statistics. None of these are fun. Okay, so as I said, many women choose to either limit or forego forego medical care to reduce costs, especially prenatal and postnatal checkups. Without sufficient prenatal care, women are often unable to identify medical conditions that will complicate childbirth and can lead to death. Because they're not doctors. So the minimum medical requirement for expecting women is 10 visits during their pregnancy. That's a lot. Which is a little more than one. That's once every four weeks, which is a little bit more than once a month. Women who have less than 10 doctor visits are three to four times more likely to die than women with adequate prenatal treatment. And women with childbirth complications who are unable to seek postnatal care are at a higher risk of death because because conditions that that happen during pregnancy will continue to need treatment. Um, this is just thinking of like medical physical conditions so not only do you have like recovery in terms of like your actual body recovery but there's also like the mental recovery like postpartum women can suffer from postpartum depression there's just so many costs and risks associated with childbirth and i feel like i should have led with this but the maternal mortality rate in the united states is 17.4 out of every 100,000 births which is higher than all of our developed counterparts and the maternal mortality rate for black women is three times higher which is due to lack of insurance being disproportionately poor thus not having insurance and a lack of education it's horrible like it's horrible and like black women when they're giving birth like beyonce has talked about this serena williams has talked about this it's not even necessarily like a class thing you can be going to the top tier hospital and they both had like terrible really rough pregnancies and they can't and you suffer medical racism and your doctor doesn't listen to you and you can end up i mean luckily for them they were able to you know persist and they gave birth and it was fine but a lot of women die or their children die, or they have a lot of complications that would have not needed to happen. And it's really horrible because there's all these stories that I read of women who couldn't go to the doctor that much during their pregnancy. Maybe they went like once every few months, like maybe they had like three, four or five doctor visits. They go to give birth and their doctor is like, yeah, you have like preeclampsia. The birth is like suddenly really hard. This is something that could have been reduced had these women gone and gotten care but they couldn't and it's just uh, it breaks my heart it's also really sad because unfortunately alexis touched on this a little bit medical racism but just to like deeper dive is that like black women are often thought of having higher pain tolerance oh yeah they still medical students 50 percent of medical students today 
still believe the myth that black people have thicker skin and thus a higher pain tolerance and thus when they complain about pain they're just like being dramatic because they have a higher pain tolerance which that also doesn't make sense because hypothetically if black women did have a higher pain tolerance that means that if they are complaining about pain that the pain is worse i know doesn't it like not make sense (laughs) that's just like logic but i don't know it's it's unfortunate because it's always phenomenon and you're like okay okay like what can be done there's so much that can be done regulation of drunk companies restructuring medical school programs like it's so expensive to go and become a doctor so if it's gonna cost that much we should be producing the most moral ethical and highly educated doctors but we're not the problem the problem though is that a lot of a lot of medical schools have kind of put in programs like this is how to not be racist to your patients and it like doesn't really work super well so like my group's suggestion essentially for how to fix the maternal mortality rate in the united states was to incorporate a lot of outside help for the mothers like doulas or like midwives that are there to prioritize the mother and have maternal training or like um, medical training and all of that stuff but that only addresses like one form of the issue and we only touched on the opioid crisis insulin costs and the maternal mortality rate there's so much more. there's so much more any like go and go on the wikipedia page for like doctors or like medicine hospitals everything like that is gonna have a socioeconomic bias rich people which tend to be white are always going to get better medical care they're always going to have better insurance coverage they're always going to be able to essentially win in this field and they shouldn't be able to and that is not how it should work people should not be pushed drugs that they get addicted to and then get addicted to like street drugs and then they die they overdose people should not have to ration their insulin because it's a thousand dollars a month and die people should not have to forego medical care for themselves and their developing child and then die like it's horrible yeah it's it's just it's it's heartbreaking it's outrageous and there are clear-cut solutions that are just not being executed so shut up and start talking about medical racism yeah